Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology within the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology here at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And today we are joined by Dr. Matt Vinegar, Director of the Clinical Virology Laboratory and the Vice Chair of Practice for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology here at Mayo. He is with us today to talk about some of the recent outbreaks of viral infections or possible viral infections that we've been seeing in the news not related to COVID, which is a nice change of Peace. So thank you for joining us today, Matt. Hey, Dr. Pritt. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So first, let's talk about this cluster of hepatitis cases in children that we've been hearing about, possibly linked to adenovirus, but really unknown etiology. So what do we know about these cases so far? Can you tell us a little bit about the background? For sure. So in the fall of 2021, there were several cases of hepatitis, which is inflammation of the liver that can cause yellowing of the skin, yellowing of the eyes, those jaundice type of presentations in young children in the state of Alabama. Initially, it was five cases. And then over the course of a few more months, it increased to nine cases of hepatitis in young children in the state of Alabama. There didn't seem to be an epidemiologic link, so they didn't go to school together. They weren't members of the same household or have any link that would suggest a, a common source, um, but they were presenting with hepatitis. And because they had described either a respiratory illness or a gastrointestinal illness in the weeks before the onset of their hepatitis, physicians who were seeing them tested for a common virus called adenovirus that can cause respiratory infection or gastrointestinal like nausea, vomiting. And those nine young children tested positive for adenovirus in their blood. So there was some initial suspicion that adenovirus, again, which is a really common virus in the population, could be associated with this increase or uh, surge in um, child hepatitis cases. To date, I think there's around 500 total hepatitis cases in children in multiple countries across the world. And we're still unsure yet what the cause is. And I'm sure we can talk about some of those possible hypotheses. Yeah, well, let's go into those possible hypotheses. What are people saying? Is this all adenovirus? Um, as you said, adenovirus is a pretty common virus. So you'd think that we'd be seeing all sorts of people with this infection, and yet it still seems to be relatively rare despite the high numbers. It's across you know, many different countries. Yeah, so we don't have an idea for sure what could be causing this, but there are some leading possibilities. Adenovirus is probably still a leading hypothesis because anywhere between 50 and 70% of the cases of these child hepatitis cases have tested positive for adenovirus from a sample type like blood. So when we see that level of patients testing positive for a virus like adenovirus and hepatitis, that association seems to be pretty compelling. They've tested negative for other common causes of hepatitis, like hepatitis A, B, C virus. 
So that also maybe raises the likelihood that another virus like adenovirus is the cause. What's kind of an argument against adenovirus is in cases where they've gone in and done a liver biopsy, where they get a little piece of tissue from the liver and they've looked for the virus or evidence in the tissue that there could be a viral infection, they haven't seen evidence of an adenoviral infection in the tissue of the liver. So that's kind of maybe an argument against the possibility that adenovirus is behind this, because we would think that if it were, we would see some evidence of adenoviral infection in the affected liver. So that's a bit of a, a head scratcher at this point as to why we're seeing patients test positive in their blood, but not seeing evidence in the affected organ or the liver. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I can speak a little bit to what we see in the histopathology of people with adenovirus infection of the liver. Usually it's a lot of necrosis and you have cells that their nuclei are visibly enlarged and they have smudgy inclusions indicative of the fact that they have a lot of viral particles in their nucleus. We call those smudge cells. And if you do electron microscopy, you can see the viruses within the nucleus. And if you do an immunohistochemical stain, a specific stain for adenovirus, it tests positive. But it's my understanding that none of these cases have big areas of necrosis or viral inclusions and that those cells with immunohistochemistry have not been shown to be positive to be present in those liver biopsies. Instead, it's more of a mixed inflammatory response. So that's interesting as well. Yeah, that's right. And it's really puzzling. I think a lot of scientists and physicians, the problem is that adenovirus is so common Mm -hmm. There's thought that in these children who are presenting with hepatitis, that detecting adenovirus or getting positive lab results could be an incidental finding because again, it, it's common, but we're just not sure yet. A second hypothesis is that there may be a contribution of prior COVID-19 infection. Of course, we're in the midst of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's been some estimates that as many as 75% of, of children have been exposed to COVID-19 sometime over the last two and a half years. So could COVID-19 be causing an inflammatory response, a delayed inflammatory response that could result in hepatitis in some cases? Only about 15 to 20% of the patients who have presented with this hepatitis have tested positive for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. But ongoing right now, they're doing serologic studies looking for how many of these children have evidence of exposure to COVID-19 at some point in the past. And I'm sure that those numbers are gonna be much, much higher. And then the third possibility is that could COVID-19 cause another common viral infection like adenovirus? to cause more severe disease like hepatitis in these young kids. In other words, does COVID-19 set the stage for a subsequent infection causing a uncommon presentation like hepatitis in these kids? So could there be a bit of a synergistic effect? Yeah, very interesting. Obviously concerning for parents, are there any messages that we would give to people about this right now, given that there's still a lot we don't know? Sure. First, it still seems to be relatively rare. So again, 500 total confirmed cases or so uh, across the globe in, in terms of 
numbers like with COVID-19 or influenza, other infectious diseases, this seems to be fairly rare. But if a young child has developed a respiratory or gastrointestinal illness and then starts to show signs and symptoms of maybe hepatitis, like yellowing of the skin, yellowing of the whites of the eyes, belly pain, probably at that point, getting the child evaluated by a physician is a really good idea so that we can you know, do some further testing and ensure that they're taken care of. Yeah, that makes sense. That's great advice and good to put this in perspective, which actually brings me to the second virus I wanted to talk about today, which is monkeypox. Also, probably good to put it into perspective. It's not like everyone's coming down with monkeypox, but we've been hearing a lot about it. And so maybe you could tell us about that as well. Yeah, these viruses are definitely keeping us on our toes. Um, <laughs> they really are. Didn't expect to be talking about monkeypox in 2022, <laughs> but uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised anymore. So monkeypox is in the same family of viruses as um, smallpox, which has been eradicated because of a smallpox vaccination. But there have been over the last 30, 40 years, usually small geographically isolated outbreaks of monkeypox, mainly in the continent of Africa. In Central Africa, Western Africa, there's been animal to human transmission of this virus, and it causes an illness where initially someone might have a flu-like presentation, so they might have body aches, fever, and then later develop a skin rash that can look like smallpox. So kind of vesicular lesions, fluid-filled lesions. Fortunately, monkeypox is much less severe than smallpox, and so it doesn't cause the, the severity of disease. Historically, has been geographically isolated to the African continent in, in most cases. With this most current outbreak, I believe we have confirmed cases in 16 countries now. I think there's been around 100 confirmed cases and so it's, it's larger than some of the other outbreaks of uh, monkeypox, which is the reason behind the global interest in this. Yeah, very interesting. And from what I've read, not all of the cases have a link that they could completely understand for acquisition of the virus. So although many of them have, so it'll be interesting as they do more of the contact tracing and our public health group really does their epidemiologic investigation. So what should people know about this virus and what are our options for testing or confirming infection? Sure. Monkeypox is a virus that usually requires really close contact. So unlike COVID-19 or influenza, which are spread through respiratory secretions, coughing, sneezing, where an individual can be exposed, even if they're standing you know, multiple feet away from an infected individual. Monkeypox requires, in most cases, very close direct contact with an infected lesion. So the, the rate of spread, the rate of transmission is likely going to be much, much lower than what we see with respiratory viruses like COVID-19 or influenza. So I really expect this outbreak to remain much more limited in comparison to what we're seeing with other respiratory spread viruses like COVID-19. Uh, that being said, if an individual does become exposed to a known case or they develop lesions on their skin, 
they should be seen by a physician so that we can get them evaluated. Currently, testing is pretty limited. It's limited to public health laboratories like the state health labs or the CDC. And we recommend that you get a sample from one of the skin rash lesions, usually the fluid from that lesion or a, a swab of that lesion, and then sent to a state health lab or the CDC. And they do a method called PCR for the virus. And that can tell us whether the individual is infected or not. That's very helpful. And what great information about these two outbreaks, one of unknown etiology, one of known etiology, but still I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about this and learning more. So thank you for all of the information. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? No, I think we've covered a lot of the important information related to both. It's just interesting to see how these viral infections uh, continue to keep us on our toes and, and again, really emphasizes how because the world is, is small and there's a travel opening back up that you know viral infections can impact multiple, multiple parts of the world that we continue to learn a lot about this, both the hepatitis and the monkeypox outbreak as the days uh, progress. So I'm sure we'll learn more in the, in the coming days. Yeah, that's a great point, Matt. We've said that before on this blog that we truly are a global society. And I saw some statistics. I think you can circumnavigate the globe at the equator in 24 hours. It's yeah. amazing how quickly you can get around the world these days. Well, thank you again for joining us today. It's a pleasure as always. Thanks, Dr. Pritt. Happy to be on. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.